your hand. If you need a Bible, we encourage you to bring one with you every week. But if you don't, we have some backups just in case. We want you to see for yourself. Uh, it's right there in God's Word. Don't just take my word for it. Just raise your hand. Daniel or one of our ushers will get you a Bible. And if you've got that Bible already and would like message notes, I know some of you don't care for them. Others of you like to be able to follow along some of the main points in the message, fill in some blanks and jot down some notes along the way. So if you'd like message notes, just raise your hand as well, and they'll, they'll be handing those out to you in the next moment. Just keep, keep your hand up and the guys will get you those message notes and the Bibles. So today we are going to be in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, a message I'm calling, Seek and Save the Lost. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Say, Amen. 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 Here we are. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came, to seek and to save what was lost. May God bless us as we study His Word today. If you've been an active attender of First Christian Church over the last year, this image we're about to put up on the screen is one you're probably pretty familiar with. So go ahead and put up that next one. Recognize that image? It's been on our Facebook page, website, up on the screen most Sundays over the last 13 months. Seek and save. Because for those of you who have been a part of our church over the past year, you know that we've been making our way through the book of Luke. And we made it all the way up to chapter 12. We did pretty well. We got halfway through the book. It's the longest of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the longest. So we made it through half of it. But each week we would have this up on the screen during that series because this not only is a theme verse for the book of Luke, it's really explaining why Jesus came to earth in the first place. The book of Luke records for us some very important teachings of Jesus. Some of our favorite parables are in Luke. The parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the good Samaritan. Only Luke records those for us. Some of his most powerful teachings are there in Luke. And we've looked at some of those teachings. Some of Jesus' most powerful miracles are in the book of Luke. Uh, whether it was calming the storm or whether it was feeding the 5,000. Right there in the book of Luke. But with, when all of it is said and done. There's this common thread, this common theme in the book of Luke that Jesus came to seek and save those who are far from God. He came to seek and save the lost. And nowhere in the book of Luke is this made more clearly than it is here in Luke chapter 19 as Jesus interacts with a short little dude named Zacchaeus. And many of you probably remember the song from Sunday school when you were a kid. How many of you remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. 
A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Oh, two of you remember it. Oh, man. So there's a, a story that we learned, many of us, at such a young age. It was put to music so we'd remember this story. This wee little man, Zacchaeus, he was kind of like the Danny DeVito of ancient Israel. Man, he was a short little dude. I tried to actually find a good image of Danny DeVito that would fit, but well, I couldn't find it. So that's not on the screen for you. But he was like the Danny DeVito, a short little dude. He couldn't see Jesus, and so he decides he's going to climb up a tree. You know, he wasn't just a short guy. He was a very short guy. And he wasn't just a very short guy. He was a very hated short guy. Because it says here he was a tax collector. And tax collectors ripped people off, didn't they? But it doesn't just say he was a tax collector. It says that he was a chief tax collector. So not only did he rip you off and charge you more for your taxes than you rightfully needed to pay, as a chief tax collector, he led and managed all the other tax collectors in Jericho, and so he oversaw the entire team that not only rips you off, but rips off your family and your neighbors and your friends. So this guy not only was hated like a normal tax collector, he had like a special level of hate coming against him. And so you can imagine the short little dude, maybe he was like four six, I don't know, but the short little guy, he wants to see Jesus, and all he can see in front of him are shoulders and heads. He's just there right behind people, even the ladies were taller than him, and so you can imagine he's trying to grab shoulders and hop up to see Jesus, and it wasn't working, and because he was hated, I can only imagine the crowd, as soon as they looked back and saw that that pipsqueak Zacchaeus was trying to get through the crowd and cut in front to see Jesus, you can imagine what they did. They butted up against each other, and so they made a nice little wall so he couldn't get through. They didn't want him to see Jesus. They didn't want to do this guy any favors. They hated this guy. But Zacchaeus decided he was going to get creative. And he runs up the road ahead of Jesus. And he sees a sycamore tree, probably one he'd passed a hundred times. And he climbs up in that tree. We're going to put it on the screen for you here. This is what a sycamore tree looks like. Sycamore trees are really great climbing trees. How many of you loved climbing trees as a kid? How many of you still today like climbing trees? Okay, I think Julian's in the room. Where are you, Julian? Oh, there he is. Julian, he's kind of bashful. Raise your hand, Julian. Be proud of it. So we were over at one of the senior lady's homes a year or two ago because she needed some yard work done. And one of the things she needed done, she had this tall, I think it was a, a fruitless mulberry tree or something in her front yard. The thing was huge. And anyways, we needed to trim those branches because it was overhanging the sidewalk and into the street. She thought a branch might break off and, and damage a car. And so I was wondering how to get up in that tree. The next thing I know, Julian is 20 feet up in that tree. And I'm like, Julian, how old are you? I think at the time he was 67. And he's flying up this tree with a chainsaw, mind you, and cutting down all those branches. And those branches are dropping like crazy. The tree looked great when he was done, but man, he can climb a tree. But these sycamore fig trees, these sycamore fig trees, the lower branches are so close to the ground, even a short little dude like Zacchaeus could climb up in the lower branches and get up above the heads of the crowd. So that's what he does. He climbs a sycamore fig tree. And in verse 5, Zacchaeus received the shock of his life. In verse 5, we learn that not only did he see Jesus, 
Not only did Jesus see him and make eye contact with Zacchaeus, Jesus actually speaks to him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is the only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that Jesus actually invites himself over to someone's house. All the other times, he was the tax collectors or the sinners or whoever, he always receives an invitation. This is the only time that Jesus invites himself. He says, I'm going over to your house. It's kind of reminiscent of what we read in Revelation 3.20. Many of you are familiar with that verse. You even find that reference, Revelation 3.20, on the bottom of an in-and-out drink cup. What does Revelation 3.20 says? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. There Jesus with Zacchaeus is living out Revelation 3.20, knocking on his heart's door and inviting himself over to his house because he wants to have a saving relationship with Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, he hears Jesus' invitation. And he is so excited, you can imagine he's just beaming ear to ear and he's just gleaming and he comes down that tree as fast as he can. I don't think he fell on his face on the way down. He was careful enough to land on his feet, but he came down that tree fast. And he takes Jesus home. And Zacchaeus comes down and not surprisingly, the people in the crowd weren't too happy with this. Once again, remember, they despise Zacchaeus. They couldn't stand Zacchaeus. So when they overhear that Jesus is yelling up into the tree, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm coming to your house today. And when he says, I'm coming and staying at your house, that doesn't just mean he's coming over for dinner. He's actually going to spend the night. He's letting Zacchaeus host him through the night. And so the people, they're pretty upset. And we can understand why. They didn't like tax collectors. I'm guessing you don't like tax collectors either. How many of you are pretty fond of tax collectors? Let me ask you, when's the last time you had an IRS agent over to your house for dinner? It's been a little while, huh? I can't quite remember when, but it's been a little while. Uh, We can relate with the crowd. They're a little upset here. It's kind of like Jesus comes to someone who drives you up the wall. Someone who gets on your last nerve. Someone who you think is rude, someone you think is mean, someone you believe lies and cheats and steals. And that's the one Jesus says he's going to join for dinner. So you think of that person you can't stand, and that was Zacchaeus in the minds of the people of Jericho. And so they start murmuring. They start grumbling. They're not happy with Jesus' choice. Man, Jesus, I'm like the head of your fan club in Jericho. How come you didn't ask to come over to my house? How come you're not letting me give you dinner? How come you're not spending the night at my place? And so they start grumbling. And certainly Zacchaeus overheard some of this grumbling, so he wasted no time demonstrating to Jesus and probably to those that were listening as well that he was a changed man. Zacchaeus didn't just say, Jesus, I I believe that you are the Christ and the Son of the living God. Because a lot of people say that and don't really believe it, right? He he didn't go a step further and and say, "Uh, Jesus, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just completely change my ways and be a brand new man starting tomorrow. A lot of people say that, and they're just giving lip service. They don't really mean that. How many people say I'm gonna change tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes? What does he do here? Zacchaeus puts his money where his mouth was. Immediately, he makes a commitment and starts carrying out that commitment. Notice what he says. 
He says he's going to give 50% of his possessions and his income to the poor. Now, this is huge because in Israel, remember, Israel had the 10% tithe. And so the average Israelite, the average Jew, is expected to give 10%. So in Jesus' day, someone who chose to give 20% of their income to the poor was considered to be extremely generous. So 20%, very generous. He doesn't commit to give 20%, does he? 50% of his possessions he's giving to the poor. And in Jesus' day, when someone stole from somebody else, and they felt that conviction and said, you know what, I I feel bad, I've stolen, I confess that I've done this. If I stole from Paul back there a hundred bucks, according to Old Testament law, when I confess that sin, I would have to pay Paul back a hundred and twenty bucks. An extra 20% beyond what I had stolen. But notice what Zacchaeus does. He doesn't pay back what he had charged people in excess with their taxes plus 20%. He says, I'm going to do four times that amount. So if he had stolen from Paul 100 bucks and overcharged him $100 on Paul's taxes, he would give Paul back $180. If Zacchaeus had overcharged you, he'd be a nice guy to know on this day, wouldn't he? 80% above what he had stolen. And so it's this excess, not just giving 20% to the poor, I'm giving 50%. That leaves me with 50% of my possessions and only 50% of my income. But you know what? I'm going to take that 50% and still be generous with it. Of that 50% that is remaining in my care, I'm going to pay back those I've ripped off 100% plus an extra 80%. And I can live on a very little because I want to do right by Jesus. And he is a changed man. And notice what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. These now famous words. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then these words we all know. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Just so we're all clear, Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he gave 50% of his possessions to the poor. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he paid back those he had ripped off, all that he had stolen, plus 80%. Zacchaeus, just like everyone else who is saved, was saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. His generosity was simply his new faith in action. Wouldn't you agree? His generosity was simply his new faith in action. Another way to say it is this way. His compassion and his generosity were the result of Zacchaeus being a changed man. The old had gone and the new had come. The old had gone. The new had come. Verse 10 is not simply the theme verse of the book of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is also the theme verse for Jesus' entire life. This is why He came. He came to earth to seek and to save the lost. This verse here clarifies why Jesus came down from heaven to earth in the first place. Jesus voluntarily left the comforts of heaven to come down to earth. How many of you know that heaven is a whole lot nicer than earth? All five of you, wonderful. How many of you believe and know that heaven is a whole lot better than earth? Front row, do you know this yet? Heaven is a lot better than earth. 
I can, I can wait. And the hands in the air say, yeah, I know. Michael, you got this? All right. If you haven't heard that before, heaven is so much better. Uh, let me just put this into pictures for you. Heaven is like the Ritz-Carlton in Beverly Hills. Not bad, is it? Earth is kind of like the uh, Stardust Inn in Barstow. Now, is the Stardust Inn in Barstow a bad place to stay? Maybe not. But it ain't the Ritz-Carlton, is it? Is earth a bad place to live? No, there's some beautiful, beautiful things about this earth that God has hand-formed with you and me in mind. But I've got to tell you, compared to heaven, it's like the Stardust Inn compared to the Ritz-Carlton. Heaven is so much better. So that begs the question, why did Jesus leave the beauty and the majesty and the streets of gold and the peace and the comfort and the joy and the love and the companionships with, companionship with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven to come down to the stardust inn? Why did He do that? Why did He do that? And the answer is because Jesus so loved the world. God so loved the world, His love compelled Him to seek and to save the lost. It amazes me every Christmas season to think that not only did Jesus leave the comforts of heaven to come down to earth, but He came down to earth to the podunk little town of Bethlehem and His first bed is a feeding trough for sheep. What a lowering of Himself that He went through because He so loved the world and was bound and determined to seek and save the lost. Why would Jesus do that? Why would He do that? I love how William Barclay explains in his commentary who the lost are that Jesus came to save. Barclay writes these words. He says, In the New Testament, lost does not mean damned or doomed. It simply means in the wrong place. Isn't that good? In the wrong place. A thing is lost when it has got out of its own place into the wrong place. And when we find such a thing, we return it to the place that it ought to occupy. You with it so far? Next part of his quote here. A man is lost when he has wandered away from God and he is found when once again he takes his rightful place as an obedient child in the household and the family of his father. I find these words to be so insightful. Jesus did not come to seek and to save the damned. Jesus didn't come to seek and to save the doomed. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Those who were in the wrong place. Those who had wandered away from God. Those whose rightful place is as obedient children in God's family. When Jesus left heaven and came to town, this is what He came to do. He came to seek and to save those who had wandered away from God. And God desperately wanted them to come back home. And Jesus has called you and me to do the same. This summer... I was out doing one of my morning jogs. I usually go out and jog about three times a week. And I was coming back through my front gate at the top of my driveway after a jog. And I looked across the street 
And there were a couple dogs just trotting down the street. They'd gotten out of their yard. They were loose, just jogging down the street. And I see this every once in a while. I had a pit bull start to come after me yesterday. But fortunately, after I got my pepper spray ready, he got close and I could see his little tail was wagging. So he was good. So I didn't have to clean a pit bull's clock yesterday out in the desert. That's a good thing. But a few months ago, these two dogs are coming down the street. One, I could tell, was a German shepherd, probably a mid-sized German shepherd, not one of the huge, real intimidating ones. And the other one, I couldn't tell, but I found out afterwards it was a bloodhound. And so oftentimes when I see stray dogs and it doesn't look like they're going to maul me, I'll go, (laughs) call them from across the street. And most of the time, the dogs look at me and they say this, "Uh uh-uh, and they keep running. (laughs) But I did my little whistle. And the dogs look at me, and they just trot across the street right toward me. Well, that's kind of different. And so I'm cautiously making sure they're friendly, and I'm petting the dogs. But I was kind of gravitating toward the bloodhound because he did look less intimidating than the German shepherd. And so I'm petting the little bloodhound, and I flip his collar around, and I notice there's a tag on there. On one side, it says his name, Bubba. So the bloodhound named Bubba. And so, Bubba, I flip Bubba's tag to the other side, and it has the name of his owner and the phone number. So what do I do? I pull out my cell phone, and I call the owner. I bring the two dogs into my yard. I close the gate. I tell my girls inside, and for the next few hours, my daughters were out in the yard playing with Bubba and his brother. And they had a good old time, and a few hours later, the owner showed up, and we were able to give the dogs back, and he was able to take those dogs back home. How many of you have had a similar instance where you found a stray cat or dog and were able to see that dog or cat go home? A lot of us have had that over the years. Doesn't it feel good to get an animal to its rightful owner and see that animal go home? See that dog go home? I'm not as excited about seeing the cats go home, but uh, that could be interpreted a couple different ways, but I'm just going to move on. It makes us feel good when we're able to send that dog home. How much better does it make God feel when a lost sinner returns home? And how good does it make him feel when you and I get to be a part of that? I'm telling you, those of you who have experienced that joy of sending a pet back home that was lost, it does not compare to the joy of sending a lost person home to God. I've seen a lot of people saved over the years. And I've got to tell you, it really, really excites me to know that in the weeks and months to come, we're going to be returning a lot of people home to God. Last Sunday I asked you, why are we moving? And I shared with you the answer, we're moving because we believe God said so. We didn't see a vision. We didn't uh, have a dream in the middle of the night. We didn't hear an audible voice of God. But the leaders of First Christian Church and our staff unanimously believe that God said so. He opened doors to make it clear. And you say, okay, well, God said so. Why did God say so? Is holding services on Sunday morning here in this place easier than holding services on George Boulevard? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Those of you who were here yesterday know that this was a lot of work to get set up, right? It is not easier to do church services here. Okay, it must be cheaper then. Uh Uh-uh, not even close. It's not cheaper to do services here. So it's not easier and it's not cheaper. So why on earth are we here? Why would God say so? Why would God bring us here? 
Because Jesus' love for the people of Victorville compels him to seek and save the lost. And it continues to humble me to realize that he has chosen us to find them and bring them home. What an honor. Many people, even within our own affiliation of the Independent Christian Church, had forgotten about us out on the former George Air Force Base. Much of Victorville forgot about us out on the former George Air Force Base. But I can stand before you today and let you know that Almighty God did not forget about us out there on the former George Air Force Base. And there are literally hundreds of churches in the Victor Valley, most of which do a pretty good job of teaching God's Word. And what an honor it is to know that He chose us to be in this brand new school, in this strategic location, to seek and to save the lost on His behalf. Hmm. If our church was all about us, we would have stayed put. If our church was all about us, we would have stayed put. Because it was easier, and it was less expensive, and for some of us it was more convenient to go to where we had been going. But we believe it's not about us. It's about them. As you leave this building today and you look out across the street at the Rite Aid or the Jack in the Box, which by the way, Jack in the Box yesterday, we had Sweet Melly and Carrie sitting at a table in front of Jack in the Box, inviting people to church. What a blessing. What a blessing. If you look out in this direction to that symphony track, that's 160 homes in that one track. On the other side of that are hundreds more. We tried to get invitations to every home yesterday. We hit hundreds of homes yesterday and still didn't finish just this one direction. Not even talking about the Brentwood area in the south direction. Not even talking about all of the houses that are to my left here around the Mormon church that is not seeking and saving the lost and leading them to Jesus Christ. It's pulling people into a lie. And God has called us to reach them. And making our way toward 395 in Atalanto, we barely scratch the surface of inviting our neighbors in this direction. So I've mentioned to you in past weeks, as Patrick did some quick searches for us, he discovered that our George Boulevard location, within a one-mile radius, we had a grand total of zero neighbors. Within a one-mile radius of this location, we have several thousand. Within a five-mile radius of our George Boulevard location, we had some 16,000 neighbors within five miles. Within five miles of this location here, do you remember the number? 78,000. I was blown away when he first said that number. I was hoping it was at least 50,000. 78,000 within five miles. What an opportunity God has given us. What an opportunity. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for them. So as many of you come each week and you get a little sweaty and a little tired setting up chairs or setting up our children's ministry in the classrooms or putting up the sandwich signs out front or helping with this sound system and getting these amazing 75-inch screens set up because I wanted the seniors sitting in back to be able to still see these words crystal clear. And as we pack out this place in two weeks, if you look around the room, we've got about 193 chairs in this room. 
In two weeks, we're going to boost it up to about 250 and expect as many as 80 to 100 in our children's wings simultaneously. We're going to pack out this room. And it's going to be a lot of work. And it's going to take some blood, sweat, and tears. But as you find yourself asking that question, why are we doing this? Allow the voice of God from His Word in Luke 19 remind you that Jesus left the comforts of the Ritz-Carlton and beyond in heaven to come down to earth because He so loved the world and He desired to seek and save the lost regardless of the cost. So we can shed a few tears. We can bleed a little bit. We can sweat a little bit. We can put in some hard work because it's not about us. It's about them. Jesus loves them. And here in this location close to home, Jesus has given us an opportunity, I believe, because He has found us faithful to teach the Word of God even when it hurts. He has found us faithful when we do have visitors coming into our old facility to love on them. And that's a consistent point of feedback we've heard over the years. It's a friendly church. It's a loving church. And God needed a friendly, loving church that teaches the Word of God and prioritizes the lost right here in this location because He so loves the world and so loves the people of Victorville. Now, when Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd and climbed the sycamore tree, he thought that he was seeking Jesus. But Jesus makes it clear in verse 10 that Zacchaeus wasn't seeking Him. How is it working? Zacchaeus wasn't seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. That's an interesting thing for us to ponder here in our first week in this location. As I speak right now, people around the Victor Valley are receiving invitations to our launch in two weeks. Many of those invitations we put on doors in the neighborhoods around us are finding those invitations on their doors today. Some of them may be reading those and holding them in their hands right now. Hundreds of others have received invitations that we put around town. Carlos over here, he's taken hundreds and been spreading those out over the last month around town. Others of you have been spreading those out. So some have those invitations in hand this morning. Others are driving by right now and seeing our 10 by 5 foot banners on the perimeter fence of this school. Others are looking and seeing those Facebook ads that we started this last week and receiving those invitations. And so here's what I want to say. As people are looking at these invitations today, people are starting to get a little curious. And they're planning on coming in in two weeks on Sunday, October 6th. And they think they're going to seek and find out what Impact Christian Church is all about. But all the while, Jesus Christ is doing the searching and seeking, isn't He? They think they're seeking us out. All the while, we being here are part of Jesus' master plan. To seek them out. Hmm. You see, curiosity is a wonderful tool in God's hands. Curiosity is a wonderful tool in God's hands. In the weeks to come, hundreds of men and women and children will come into this place curious to find out what this church is about. Yeah, I like the banners. It looks cool. The logo looks cool. Yeah, I got this invitation on my door. The Facebook ad looks pretty good. Someone struck up a conversation with me at the store. They seem nice enough. I'm out of curiosity going to check out and find out what it's all about. A few of you are here today that have not been a part of our church in the past. And I'm guessing part of your motivation for being here is, at least to some extent, some curiosity. 
And for many people, curiosity is a stepping stone to faith. They will come curious, and many will leave this place saved in the weeks to come. Amen? They're going to come curious and leave saved. God has given us the opportunity to pique people's curiosity with the launch of Impact Christian Church in this great new school, in this strategic location. And that curiosity that will bring them here is all part of Jesus' master plan to seek and to save the lost. So as we say in these next few weeks, come and join us at Impact Christian Church. They'll come. And as they do, many will come home to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for the opportunity You're giving us here today to begin this new outreach, to begin this new ministry. And Lord, we know You love us. But most of us here, Lord, are already headed to heaven. But there's so many thousands around us, Lord, within these five miles around this church, so many around us that don't know You, who aren't going to heaven unless someone tells them about You and leads them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Lord, we've got a lot of work to do in the weeks to come. Lord, we didn't have everything dialed in today. We had some hiccups with our setup. And you know, Lord, our desire was to get out here a couple weeks early so we could kind of work out the kinks and learn what works best and what doesn't work best. But Lord, we're all new at this. We need your help. We, we want to do some of the great ministry we did in our other location, Lord, but do it even better here. Lord, we want to share the gospel with those that don't know Christ, but we want to do it even better here. We want to do it even better here. As our eyes are closed and every head is bowed, one of our priorities as a church is to pray for people. Every week we have opportunities for you to be prayed for. I believe that there's some of you here today that have some things that are heavy on your hearts. You need to lift it up in prayer. Some of you are here today and you've got some physical illnesses you're struggling with. Some of you are here today and you've got a marriage that's on the rocks. You're not sure if you'll be reconciled with your husband or with your wife. Some of you have grown kids that have strayed from the Lord and aren't making decisions that you know they need to make and you're praying for them, but they're not turning back. Others of you are dealing with other stresses in life, money family, other difficulties, maybe addiction. I want to pray for you right now. So our eyes are still closed and our heads are bowed. If, if you need prayer right now, I just want to ask you to slip your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's the health. Maybe it's a family relationship. Maybe it's a job you desperately need. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's an addiction. Just raise your hand. I see those hands. Are there any others? see those hands. God bless you. Bless you. Any others? I want you to receive this prayer. Heavenly Father, I lift up every person in this room who has that hand in the air. And you know their need, God. You know their need. I pray that you touch them right where they're at in a way that only you can do. Heal them if they need healing, Lord, physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
Lord, I pray for those that have a, a strained relationship, maybe a marriage or a relationship with a parent or a child or a sibling. God, there's a relationship in my family that's strained right now, and I pray for that family member of mine, Lord. I pray for healing in that marriage. I pray for healing, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Touch each person in their point of need. You can go ahead and put your hands down. If your eyes are still closed, if you're here today and you realize that if you were to die today, you probably would not make it to heaven. Because you've been playing around with Jesus. You haven't made a clear and conscious decision to accept Him as your Lord and as your Savior. You haven't asked Him to wash your sins away. You haven't, like Zacchaeus, truly repented from your sin, obeyed Him in Christian baptism, and begun following Him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here today and you realize you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand right now as our eyes are still closed. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you as well. See those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, I pray for those right now. They've lifted their hands and indicated, Lord, I'm not right with you. Some of these, Lord, have made a confession of faith, but they didn't change. I pray, Lord, that they would truly repent and change. That they would come to you and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Lord, I need you in my life. Would you come into my life? Would you help me to follow you from this point forward? Lord, I've I've just given you lip service. I haven't truly repented from my sin. I need to repent of my sin. Lord, I've talked about getting baptized, but I haven't done it. I need to, to do what you told me to do because right there on the first day of the church, you said, repent and be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want your spirit living inside of me. I want you to forgive my sins. And I want to obey you from this point forward. Lord Jesus, I pray that today these lives would be transformed by the power of the gospel. That you would come in and make them new. And that they would truly follow you from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen.